Welcome to Get Gig Ready. If you're a music maker, emerging or early in your career, or even a veteran looking to brush up on the basics, we're here to get you close to some amazing local talent to help amp up your skills. Get Gig Ready is presented by City of Ride, Lane Cove Council, the Live Music Office, Music New South Wales and 2SER with support from Macquarie University. Joining me now is Isaac Lewis, uh, booking agent and artist manager. Isaac, just to kind of start things off, what what is your role um, as an artist manager when it comes to making money for one, the company and artists? Maybe break that down to kick it off. Yeah, totally. Um, I guess, yeah, being an artist manager and looking after an artist's career, uh, that also entails a bunch of strategy um, for the artist, both on a release and brand perspective, but also in a touring sense as well. You've got to make sure that the artist is playing the, you know, the right shows to continue developing their career, developing the story. Um, and on the financial side of that, it's also a business manager. So mm. making sure that the people who are involved in uh, the bands or the artists, but also the crew and the team are looked after on, on a financial sense, making sure the budgets are matching up um, and yeah, making sure that the right personnel are, are getting paid to do the right job. Um, so yeah, there's a, a couple different things that a manager is looking at, but I'd say that those are quite broad um, it's a very broad hands up. Mm. Um, and I think that's a manager's job as, job as well. It can be quite broad and it's a, it's a little bit of like everything, but almost nothing at the same time. So for sure. And I, yeah, I guess let's maybe like touch on a few specific things then. Um, merchandising, how big of a role does that play when it comes to managing an artist and even emerging artists? What's is an artist ever Massive. too small to have merchandise? No way. I think that having an artist that let, let's think about some artists in Australia, for example, that have done the merchandise thing correctly or have become a merchandise sure. um, artist. So artists like Violent Soho or, um, you know, Pissed Idiots or, um, you know, th- those types of acts. Are, they're just two examples. Are artists that have done merchandise very, very well. I'm sure we all own a, a t-shirt or, or something from one of those acts, yeah. if not both. And I think that the reason why they became became an artist that was just great merchandise is because they started doing it from day one. They set the precedent for themselves. They also care about it just as much as the music. So merchandise for an artist is incredibly important on a creative sense, but it's also very important on a financial sense. It's a way that you can try and maximize the opportunity, the opportunity being a performance and an opportunity to see more people and more and expose the brand and the story and, you know, what you're doing to your audience and getting them to, it's almost like an investment into you as the artist. Um, I know there's a lot of conversations that are happening in the digital world with, you know, NFTs and cryptocurrency and, yeah. and all of that um, around an artist. But I think that then at the end of the day, a physical item like a, a T-shirt or a hat or a pair of socks or something is incredibly important in um, that inv- that artist, uh, sorry, the fans' investment into the artist. So, yeah, I'd say for an artist, an emerging act, it's incredibly important starting to build the story the brand and and yeah i think you're exactly right and it's yeah it's becoming a brand in a way you mentioned bands like violent soho and then i think for people of maybe our generation in their early 20s and mid 20s everybody has either a june rats or a skeggs or a hockey dad shirt it becomes part of the culture and i think you know you go to those gigs or any gig and it's you know it's your uniform 
it's your jersey yeah. and you wear it for that reason. How does, I guess, brand, you know, you see bands like Violent Soho pairing up with brands and then doing those bundles. I mean, how, how do artists go about doing something like that? Is that something you do a lot with your artists is approaching brands and different, even fashion labels? Um, I saw DMA did something with Depop. How does that all kind of work? Yeah, totally. It's definitely something that I haven't delved that deep into yet, um, but it's a conversation that has happened before. You know, a brand deal can be something as simple as getting a tour sponsor, so getting yeah. a beverage company on board to look after, you know, the riders. Uh, you know, that's just that's a brand deal in a sense as well. But that example of the Depop and DMA's collaboration, uh, I think that was really important to. Yeah, I think this this comes back as well to that same idea of who are you going to pitch to? You don't want to be pitching to someone who it doesn't make sense. So I think getting a clear understanding of who you are as an artist, your brand, your story, your vision, your world, and then looking at, okay, cool, does this brand that, yes, we might be fans of uh, a bunch of brands here and there, but if it doesn't align well with the brand and the story that you're trying to, you know, tell it's like maybe it doesn't make sense to do that collaboration mm. um uh, in some ways you might let, let's say that you've got let's say that we have two brands interested a brand that's yep. quite big is offering a lot but doesn't align with the artist that well then you've got another brand which aligns very well with the artist but the deal is a bit eh, like it's not the greatest deal in the world I would always opt and always prefer to do the deal that makes sense for the artist's long-term investment and the long-term strategy. Um, you know, anyone can get a quick win uh, and make a, right. a quick bit of cash, but I think it's it's about that that maintaining, um, yeah, a, a long story, looking at the next 10 years, does this make sense? Um, and look, there are, there's so many different brands that are interested in this space at the moment. Um, I think... The, the, the biggest reason why tour supports has always been something we've looked at um, is because it's so difficult for those businesses that beverage, alcohol and beverage um, industry to promote and, and market. They, you know, there's so many limitations and regulations on what they can and can't do. So it's a very easy way for them to uh, go straight to the punter um, and also build relationships with new venues and, and new um, establishments they haven't been in before. So whilst at the same time, building their brand and being quote unquote cool because they're mm. associated with this act or that act or whatnot. So, yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting to see. And I mean, I don't like talking about it, but COVID looking at, you know, Lime Cordial obviously pairing up with Mercury Ciders and also using that space mm. to, to broadcast and uh, yeah, kind of put a spotlight on other emerging bands during that series. Um, what are some of the more unique ways you can, I mean, looking, putting merchandise and brand deals to one side, obviously there's platforms like Parlor and Serenade, which is kind of like a cameo format for bands to perform directly to fans. Have you had any experience with that or maybe any other, you know, kind of different unexpected avenues of income for an artist? Totally. I think Serenade is a great one um, because of where the business is. The, so the business, business has pivoted a lot since, um, in the middle of COVID, um, as you kind of said, it, it was similar to Cameo. They've now pivoted the business a little bit um, and now they're focusing on AFTs and uh, we're having a lot of conversations there and that's something that we're exploring a lot. But I think on a more um, 
holistic and broader view of of that idea and, and not just that company, but looking at NFTs and looking at your community, um, how can you provide value to your community? How can you, but also at the same time, continue building and engaging that community? Mm. Because if you can build a, a fan that is worth, um, and I hate to say it like this, but you know, it's just a, a very nuts and bolts kind of conversation. It's like if you are finding a fan and you can maximize some income from that uh, that fan for the next 10 years that looks like however much, that's probably better than a really sh- small win where you're going to just be making a little bit of cash today. Um, so in saying that, it's like what can you do um, what, what can you do off the back of a performance? I think the most important part is getting that opt-in data. If it's a ticketed show, making sure that you're getting all of those email addresses because they're your fans. They've also, not only have they purchased a ticket, but they've also opted in to say, hey, I am interested in receiving more communication from the artist, from the promoter and from the venue. So utilizing that the best way that you can. Um, we're looking at a lot of campaigns and a lot of strategies at the moment to maximize that audience um and i think that there are more artists in australia who are focusing on uh, a campaign to get their song in the hottest 100 uh you know what i mean more so than spending time cash and money on a um oz music t-shirt day campaign now an oz music t-shirt campaign can actually make you money can has direct links to purchases and sales and things like that where, you know, other things that you're a status thing um, like a countdown, um, yeah, I just don't think has the same impact. Um, Obviously, it's important and it's culturally important, but, yeah, I I think that looking at merchandise sales, looking at other ways that you can engage your community, um, but I think it comes back down to your story, your brand, understanding what makes sense for your audience. Um, Mm. You know, and finding those platforms as well. Uh, I'd say that there are some artists who are better suited. Let's take an act like um, a Sydney act called Oily Boys. They do incredibly well on Bandcamp and that's where all their merchandise sales are, are happening. They're selling out vinyl. Now, that act I don't think is getting any radio play anywhere in Australia. Um, so, yet they're selling out vinyl all across the world and they're an act from Sydney. Cool. So obviously we're seeing a lot of people, I mean, a lot of bands and labels over the past, you know, there's been a huge vinyl resurgence and not even vinyl, but cassettes. And I think mm-hmm. just from my, my observations, that definitely plays into the aesthetic of a band and perhaps the certain type of music they play. Um, what's your experience like with that? And is that something bands should be putting time and effort into looking at doing with their own music when it comes to releasing? Totally. I think that there are an incredible amount of ways to platform your music today. Um, so let's go back to the, that example of Oily Boys and their vinyl release on Bandcamp um, and the audience that they have cultivated on that platform. We know that if you're, you know, people who are actively looking for music on Bandcamp are more likely to purchase vinyl. Just that's the way that the ecosystem works, and that's just the way that those that audience is consuming that that content and consuming the music. Now, if you've got an act like, um, you know, that is featured really heavily on Spotify playlists and DSP playlisting, and it's very disposable um, in terms of you know, they're, they're pumping out the releases. They're pumping out the singles. It's featuring heavily in, in, on, on 
DSP playlisting, you're probably not going to see the same effect that you're going to have if you then release vinyl on Bandcamp. So it's looking at where that audience is, understanding the ecosystem that that audience lives in, their, um, you know, what it is that they do. Do they purchase vinyl? Do they purchase cassettes? Understanding your audience and leaning into that strength, um, not just audience, but also understanding the platform. So also at the same time, there are heaps of ways and I've just had a look. So Oily Boys do have a Spotify profile. On their Spotify profile though, you can purchase their vinyl from Spotify. So mm. you can set that up with, you know, a thing like Merch Bar or um, uh, Shopify. So they've gone to the effort to make that happen because they know that their audience likes vinyl. So yeah. just do it. It's a bit of market research maybe. And I hate to use all these really yuck business words and business <laughs> terms when we're talking about creativity and music, but um, as an artist manager, and that's the importance of having a, an artist manager to think about and to go through all of this kind of boring business minded um, jargon to, to make sure that you're maximizing as much money so that you can do this for the rest of your life. That's amazing. And I guess for maybe a band that's starting off, how do you, every band has obviously the, as you said, you know, you're creating your own brand, establishing your own unique set of fans and, and family in a sense people you want a, a true authentic connection with I mean how do you kind of figure out where to put your effort into when you're starting off whether it's band camp whether it is maybe something like Triple J Unearthed or putting a lot more effort into your link tree or how, how do you think as a, as a artist starting up you decide where to put your your efforts into I think it comes back down to the artist strengths. If the artist strength is in TikTok, do TikTok. Yeah. If the artist strength is in Instagram, do Instagram. Um, you're going to find your audience there because you're going to be actively engaged on that platform or in that space. Don't do something that doesn't make any sense just because there's a lot of a lot of noise there. Um, so, for example, if you're not good at TikTok, TikTok, maybe don't. Mm-hmm. Maybe spend that time that you were, you know, doing um, TikToks or, or looking at that, that world and focusing on YouTube because you, you've been doing YouTube for years and you understand that market, you understand how that works. Um, at the same time, looking at the music and the audience, um, your target market, who is listening to your music? So understanding that an older, uh, an older demographic probably isn't going to be on TikTok. Um, now, if you're focusing on a, if you know that your audience, your demographic is younger, um, you could use those kind of, dis- you could use the data to inform those decisions as well and, and where to spend that time. But I think playing into your strengths of what you are good at and what you're not good at um, and just understanding understanding that, you'll you'll be able to figure out where best to spend that time and effort and money. Terrific. I think that's brilliant advice. Isaac, thanks so much for taking the time to join Get Gig Ready. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. That was band manager and booking agent Isaac Lewis shedding interesting insight into how artists can diversify their incomes in a manner of ways. Thanks for joining us on Get Gig Ready. We'll see you next time.